Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here, once again flying this ship solo as we take on our first double feature movie movie review of Fright Fest 5 as we tackle the movies The Purge and Battle Royale. Um, this is our this is our investigation of the legislation um, part of the uh, of the political uh, political horror branch or the body politic uh, branch. Uh, these both of these movies get into the idea of what is you know what can happen if in fact the government uh, mandates in some cases or at least allows uh, the the uh, allows extreme violence sort of in service to the state uh, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, <clears throat> I think certainly, certainly Battle Royale is kind of pushing the, the envelope in terms of what you would consider horror, but, um, the purge is not, and a lot of the kills from Battle Royale are very, uh, are very horror movie worthy. Um, it, it is a, as, as we'll get into here in a little bit, it is a quite a violent movie. Uh, the purge is squarely a horror movie and, um, I am kind of a little bit uh, intrigued at um, what type of horror movie it is. I've, I've only seen the this is the, my only second viewing of The Purge, and the, the, my last viewing was probably eight years ago. Um, so I, I was kind of um, it is kind of intriguing viewing both of these movies with a little bit of distance. Although I've seen Battle Royale multiple times uh, previously, but it is kind of interesting seeing these movies now uh, with a little bit of uh, distance in between my last viewings. So let's get into it. No reason to beat around the bush. Um, I'll start with. I think it's important. I started watch. I started this. Um, I watched The Purge first, and then Battle Royale, simply because I again I've seen Battle Royale multiple times. This is probably like my fourth or fifth viewing. Um, I've only seen The Purge one other time, um, and it, I do think it was kind of interesting seeing them in the order that I watched them, which I, I will get into. But uh, anyway, here's just some quick. Background info on both of these movies. So to start with The Purge first, uh, it's obviously the first in a five-film series. Uh, the first Purge came out in, or I shouldn't say The First Purge, excuse me, just The Purge. came out in 2013, uh, written and directed by James DeMonico, starring Ethan Hawke as James Sandon, Lena Headey as Mary Sandon, Max Burkholder as Charlie Sandon, and Adelaide Kane as Zoe Sandon. With Edwin Hodge as the Bloody Stranger, uh, who does get named in the later movies, I believe. I believe he's in the first three, Edwin Hodge. Um, and I, I want to say his name is like Dante Bishop or something like that. But in this movie, he's unnamed. He's just the Bloody Stranger. And uh, Reese Wakefield plays the polite leader, who I believe is completely unnamed, um, obviously. And obviously he doesn't... Uh, oh, spoilers abound for both of these movies. Obviously he doesn't make it to any of the other movies, so... So there you go. There's your main cast for The Purge. Um, the idea for The Purge sprung from a road rage incident in which uh, James DeMonico fought a drunk driver who nearly hit and uh, killed his wife. He and his wife while they were, uh, you know, driving down the, driving down to, I don't know, somewhere in California. And uh, police were involved. Um, there were arrests made. And, uh, you know, after the incident, uh, his wife remarked how it would be nice to have one free murder a year. I'm not going to lie to you, one free murder a year sounds like a lot. Um, I think one free murder in your lifetime is almost somewhat reasonable, but one free murder a year, that's that's quite a bit of murder for uh, anyone who lives, you know, a significant amount of time. But, um, I, and clearly, as this, clearly this movie takes um, homage and inspiration from a, a ton of other movies. 
um, including including Battle Royale. Uh, but the the idea definitely comes from that little kernel that that little incident and his wife's little uh, kernel of an idea. Now this movie is a obviously it's a massive success. It has like I said, it has spawned four other films. Um, and it's you know it's one of one of Blumhouse's many um, small budget big hits. This is uh, this movie is on a three million dollar budget and grossed eighty nine million dollars worldwide. That is a massive massive success, um, and it's really interesting. So Ethan Hawke is um, Ethan Hawke kind of did this movie. I don't even call it as a favor necessarily, but he's friends with Jason Blum, and I think he might even be friends with the, uh, with the director James DeMonico. And his inclusion in the film was kind of like a yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. We'll we'll add some star power. I he doesn't he did not get paid much up front for the movie, and this is kind of um this is kind of how Blumhouse does all of their um all their payment structures, especially for any names that might be in one of their movies. Um so, you know, Ethan Hawke only got paid I, I would guess I, I can't imagine much. I know there's a figure out there somewhere, like maybe like thirty thousand dollars or something for this movie. Uh, but he got got a percentage of the back end, so it's very likely that um, this this movie was still not one hundred percent right uh, from uh, uh, from the last couple of days. But um, yeah, this movie is very possibly Ethan Hawke's biggest payday ever in Hollywood, which is just kind of funny considering, again, like Blumhouse, even though they're a very notable uh, horror film studio, uh, that their model is to you know make the shrink the budget down as much as possible uh to to really uh increase the return and obviously three million dollar budget uh you know 89 million dollar gross i mean we're talking 30 times the budget um the the one that obviously put blumhouse on the map was paranormal activity which was shot for something like i want to say like 20 or thirty thousand dollars and gross 200 million dollars um so like that's that's their model that's the way they do things and because of that ethan hawk got paid a shitload of money on the back end uh by this movie um certainly they didn't uh certainly demonico hawk and blum and jason blum probably didn't think this would be quite the success it was in fact this movie was turned down multiple times um because of it you know said no to the the story idea when demonico was kind of conceiving it the the story idea was rejected by other studios and other uh, you know, other collaborators just kind of said no because of how anti-American and how um, oddly violent the movie was uh, in its in its first incarnation. Um, so that's just a little bit of the background info for um, for the Purge. Now for Battle Royale, uh, it's from two thousand. It was directed by Kenji Fukasaku. Uh, it was written by uh, there, there's a novel and a manga that were and this movie were all written by Koshun Takami and uh, the adaptation was uh, for this movie was by Kenta Fukasaki. Um, the <clears throat> principal cast here there's this one I had to shrink down quite a bit because obviously there this is a this is a movie with a massive cast. Um, there's like quite literally there's um, there's 42 students in the movie um, and. 42 students in the movie and um literally all of them get screen time so i'm just gonna shrink this down to the the kind of important um the 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 main cast if you will so we have uh tatsuya uh, if i butcher the names i completely apologize in advance uh, advance but uh tatsuya fujiwara plays our main character shuya uh akimeda plays our um our main girl noriko Taro Yamamoto plays Kawada, one of the transfer students, the older transfer student. Um, 
Chiaki Kiriyama plays Chigusa, and she's probably one of the people that you might be you might recognize um, because of uh, because of this movie and this movie's popularity. With this is one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies. Uh, Chiaki Kiriyama would then go on to play Gogo Yabara and Kill Bill. Um, if you remember who, if you don't know, if you're not remembering that name that well, she is the uh, one of Oreni Shii's enforcers. She's the one with the spiked ball and a chain. Wearing the schoolgirl outfit, the schoolgirl outfit obviously clearly being a callback to um, uh, to this movie Battle Royale. So that you might be might be familiar with uh, Chiaki Kiriyama. Uh, Ko Shibasaki plays Mitsuko, um, and you might recognize her from a few from a few movies that penetrated here, like Forty Seven Ronin, and there's a couple other things that she's been in that have been in American theaters. Um, Masanobu Endo uh, plays another one of the transfer students, the psychopathic transfer student, uh, Kiriyama. Um, and then the one that probably a lot of people uh, my age would be familiar with in a totally different setting, and that is Takeshi Katano, who plays Katano. And the reason, <laughs> the reason why... I, I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was kind of like, wait a second, this guy looks super-duper familiar. I was a big fan uh, in college back in the day of... Uh, MXC Maximum Extreme Maximum Extreme Challenge, which was a dubbed over was a American dubbing, a co- like a very comedic dubbing of one of those crazy Japanese game shows where people have to do just like insane things, um, you know, they and they kind of you know in, in, in a very gentle way kind of get fucked up doing them, and the the <clears throat> the the show MX, the show that MXC was dubbing over was called Takeshi's Castle, um, and that is Take- the Takeshi Katano, the actor who plays Katano in this movie, is that Takeshi. It's Takeshi. He's he's a comedian and a show host in Japan, and he is the in in our in our version in MXC. He is Vic Romano. He's the main host, um, but he was the host of this TV show in Japan of one of these um, one of the one of the wild game shows in Japan, and he's like very very well known as a comedic figure in Japan. So it was kind of funny seeing. Like, upon first realization, you know, who he was, and then, like, again, seeing it more recently, uh, obviously this this week, um, it was just kind of funny thinking about him as, like, my, the way I kind of view him through the lens as being Vic Romano, the, uh, the, uh, the very sort of, like, I don't know, I guess the, the voice of reason on, an, on, a, on a very absurd show. Um, so, Takeshi Katano, just a very, and I think for the, the sat, for the, you know, the, the political satire that Battle Royale is going for, it is kind of important to have someone who is someone who is a comedic figure be the main sort of um, antagonistic force or the the main representative for the for the antagonistic force in this particular movie. Now, <clears throat> Battle Royale is a absolute pop culture game changer um, in Japan and abroad. Um, so much like this was. A huge thing in Japan in 2000, at the end of 2000 when it came out. Um, members of the National Diet, which is essentially the um, the equivalent of, uh, the American equivalent would be Congress. Uh, but of the Japanese National Diet, wanted the film banned. And they essentially slapped uh, a health and safety warning on the movie as harmful to teenagers. In the same way that we're kind of beginning to... Um, you know, that Congress and certain um, certain educational groups are making very, very pointed warnings about social media and the Internet. 
um, the the national diet in Japan was essentially saying that this movie is unsafe and, and harmful to to the youth of Japan. Um, so this, and of course, as as this kind of stuff always works, um, the political outrage drove a lot of intrigue in this movie. Literally, everyone wanted to see it because of how much, how many waves it was making with um, you know with the politicians and. Uh, you know, with the with the establishment in Japan, and because of this, probably if they had just had said nothing about it, I mean, it still would have it still would have been, a, a, and you know, probably still would have grossed a lot of money. But because of because of the the intrigue behind this movie and the idea of this being something so controversial, this was the third highest grossing film in in two thousand in Japan, uh, behind like I, I want to say like behind. Um, some like notable i don't have the movies here in front of me but i want to say behind some like notable japanese movies that are like also like pop culture um you know uh, landmarks so like this was a huge huge movie in japan i want to say it was like 30 million dollars in japan that's a lot for for their um it's a lot for their um entertainment their cinema uh at this point in time um and this controversy is also what propels it to cult status overseas like it was impossible to find this movie in any kind of official distribution in a lot of countries until about 2010. Um, and it, it still became a cult classic because it was kind of an early internet sensation. Um, you know, you could, you could um, definitely torrent it and pirate it um, in the early 2000s. There were like some limited edition prints uh, in Europe, but it doesn't really get its full due overseas until, uh, you know, basically a decade later. Um, but it, it is, you know, it it was one of those movies that came along in the early 2000s from Japan and Korea that had like that ex- kind of extreme label on it. And certainly the um, the interest in stuff like Audition and um, uh, Ichi the Killer and um, obviously Ringu and Juon, some of those movies um, that were kind of viewed as like being extreme movies. Um, oh, there's some other, an old boy and movies like that. This kind of came along in that same sort of wave and, um, you know, as, as one of the controversial extreme movies coming out of Asia. And so it was a it, it probably even before it, it really got um, any kind of before probably a lot of people really saw the full thing in the United States. I'm sure a lot of people like me heard about its reputation in the United States before that we even got a chance to see it. So. Um, that, you know, that sort of, that controversy really propelled it and really gave it some legs overseas too. So thanks to the, na- the Japanese national diet for, um, <laughs> for making this movie, um, this, this pop culture landmark, uh, this worldwide pop culture landmark. Um, and you know, and this, this movie really is the reason why I'm pairing this movie with, uh, with the purge is because this is, this is the um, I guess I guess this is really the you know kind of patient zero the the first the first one of its kind um, that propels a lot of movies like this, including some of the biggest franchises of all time. The Hunger Games takes a page out of Battle Royale's book. Obviously, The Purge takes a page out of, out of Battle Royale's book, and there's other movies that you know that aren't part of you know aren't part of franchises like The Belko Experiment. Um, Oh gosh, I know there's one that I had another one that I had on the tip of my tongue there, but like there's a lot of movies like this that owe a huge debt to Battle Royale, and it's sort of riding this wave of controversy from the early 2000s all the way really, really still to this day. You could, it's still not like a you know even though it's even though opinions around it are softened in Japan, it still is sort of like a 
it's still a controversial movie in Japan as well. I kind of just realized I, I plowed into that. I probably should have given a brief synopsis for each film in case you're a little bit unfamiliar. Certainly um, might be unfamiliar with Battle Royale, but I'll give a synopsis for both movies here before I move into uh, some of the things that really surprised me about both. But um, anyway, uh, The Purge, uh, set obviously from 2013, but the film is set in the year 2020 in an, al- an alternate United States where all crime, including murder, is made legal for a 12-hour period called The Purge that occurs annually from 7 p.m. on March 21st to 7 a.m. on March 22nd. During The Purge, uh, emergency services and law enforcement are suspended while all acts of crime become legal. It's your general synopsis for The Purge and your general synopsis for Battle Royale. Um, <clears throat> uh, Battle Royale takes place in an alternate reality where the government passes the Battle Royale Act uh, in response to increasing um, increasing uh, youth increasing youth crime, I guess, uh, would be the best way to put it. But uh, I just suppose it's more youth misbehavior. Uh, and they force randomly selected groups of high school students to fight to the death until until only one remains. Um, no, no real year is given for it. Um, it's, but I think it's in the in the book and in the manga, it's uh, 1997. Um, it's not like a futuristic thing. It's just an alternate reality. Um, so there's the general the general synopsis for both movies. And like I said, this is spoilers abound for both of these movies. And at this point, if you haven't seen The Purge, you know it's ten years ago. Time to get on it. Um, if you haven't seen Battle Royale, I kind of can, may possibly understand, but again, that was this movie's twenty three years old. Um, so spoilers abound for for what I'm going to talk about. So <clears throat> there were a few things uh, in each movie that surprised me, and in terms of the purge, I was very very surprised at how fairly tame this movie is compared to other movies of its kind, and certainly other movies within the franchise. Like it's. Obviously, there's a bunch of deaths when we get to the climax, but really, um, the only deaths that we see in the first, I want to say, again, this is like an 83-minute movie, um, but the only deaths that we see within the first, like, I want to say like 30 minutes are sort of like the the sort of archival footage of the past purges, where we see like the security cameras and stuff, um, and you know, the the ring doorbell cameras and stuff. We see that kind of stuff from the, the first, the opening credits, the opening montage. Um, so, like, it takes a while before we get to, like, some real, like, do, do we get anything really truly gruesome? And I even then, I think the first kill is um, the plight leader, Reese Wakefield's the plight leader, kills his own friend before we, we get down to the violence. And it, it really is, uh, again, this, I, this is the, I will say this is the only Purge movie that I've seen. Um, and I will say it just mostly because this isn't really my jam. But I, I have seen other... I have seen things from the subsequent Purges online on YouTube and, and whatever else. And the kills in this one are fairly tame compared to the other ones. It What it really reminds me of is how the first Saw movie is set so far apart from all of the subsequent Saw movies... There, while there are some pretty like gnarly deaths in Saw, th- there's only like two. Uh, take that back. There's only like two gnarly deaths in Saw, and there's only like I want to say like three or four total deaths in Saw, three or four total kills in Saw, um, and and two of the, and two of the four like implied, you know, Carrie Elways and um, 
is it Lee? Well, I think Lee Wan L is the other guy in the room uh, in Saw uh, with, um, you know, with, with Jigsaw lying there on the floor. Um, and those are just sort of like presumed deaths. The the subsequent Saw movies go like way, way over the top with everything, obviously. Um, and the this movie feels kind of like it's kind of like the same thing where it is fairly almost comparatively chaste compared to the other movies uh, within its franchise and other movies of its kind. Um, so that was really like surprising to me upon seeing this movie for the second time. I just kind of forgot how almost quiet this movie is and like the the horror is kind of this you know almost like this we're like kind of doing like a stalking movie we're in the dark you know you don't know what's around the corner like that's where the horror really is coming from versus it being a gory movie although we definitely get some some solid kills in this movie i also as i mentioned before this movie is 83 minutes i forgot how streamlined and easy this movie is to watch it was it's an it's an absolute joy when I find a genre movie, um, be it horror, be it sci-fi, um, comedy, whatever. When I find a movie that isn't fucking two hours long, this was fantastic. It is blissful. It is quick. It doesn't need to have. It doesn't need to be very, very. It doesn't need to have like too much to it. We are just getting. We are introduced to the characters. Where we get the background info about um, you know the reasons for the purge, the economic collapse, unemployment violence whatever and then we just get right into it we don't need anything more i i was surprised and i'll talk about this a little bit talk about this later but i was surprised about like the clunky part in the middle with um the the relationship of it's not the middle i guess it's more like the first third um between zoe and henry that just felt it just didn't feel like it fit the rest of the movie and it really didn't and we'll talk about that in a little bit but it, it definitely kind of um, didn't fit within the movie, and it kind of unintentionally sidelined uh, Zoe as a character. Um, it, it just kind of made her feel like an accessory to the movie. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of surprising there. But um, again, something that we'll cover in a little bit more detail because it, it was clunky, and it, it it there's a reason why it was so clunky. Uh, in terms of battle royale, I legitimately forgot how intense the violence is this is again i I think this is we're stretching the the, we're stretching what horror is a little bit to cover this movie but i don't think really that much um this movie is incredibly violent and some of the kills are way over the fucking top some of the kills are reminiscent of something straight out of saw one of the first kills is uh is our main character's best friend uh i believe his name is nobu and um yeah shuya's best friend is nobu and he kind of has like a he early in the movie he actually um assaulted and uh cut our uh our 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 main antagonist katano when katano was the it was a school was a school teacher actually assaults and cuts him with a uh, with a knife in the right in the right in the butt like slashes him right across the buttocks with a knife um in our opening scene, um, you know, which which pushes Katano to quit teaching and obviously become one of the administrators of the BR Act. Um, but anyway, he really kind of goes at it with Nobu in, in our introduction when all the all of the kids from their class are brought to the island. He and Nobu get into it and he activates Nobu's collar. And I was I kind of I kind of forgot I was expecting just like sort of a complete head explosion. But it's really this much more gruesome 
um, this like these electric collars that they're all wearing that have explosives embedded in them. It really just sort of pops the neck open, almost like a slasher movie. Like you see the explosion and like his head clearly snap and break, and then it's just a spray of blood everywhere. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty fucking intense. And I was kind of like, I was kind of shocked by that. And that was right after, I believe that was right after, uh, Kitano, uh, throws a, throws a knife and pegs, uh, this like 13 year old girl straight in the head, um, you know, with a, you know, with a throwing knife and kills her. And then you, I mean, like those, those are the kills that start off the movie. And then literally once we get uh, all the kids out into the um out into the island that they're brought to, to to kill each other off we have a girl get just shot straight through the neck with an arrow um uh, we have some kids committing suicide and hanging themselves uh there is a there's a bunch of scenes of shootouts that are fucking graphic where where kids are just mowing each other down i mean it is it is intense like i forgot how violent this particular movie is but it does fit in with, as I mentioned before, all of the, all of the extreme, um, all of the so-called extreme movies that were coming over from Japan and Korea at the time. Um, you know, these Japanese horror and action movies were really going for the violence um, at this point in time. So it does fit right in. I just was kind of, again, it's probably been like five or six years since I've seen this. Um, I was just kind of like, holy shit, I forgot how violent this movie actually is. Um, I also forgot that we we get like these character, we get more character depth than I recall too. This movie's um, depending on which edition you watch, it's just under or just over two hours. And they do fill that with some important character vignettes and flashbacks. And it gives, it gives a lot of the characters more depth than I expected. Um, you know, obviously our main characters get most of them. Uh, Shuya gets a gets a flashback, uh, flashbacks, and also a little bit more storytelling about his background. Um, some of the other characters, even even our one of our transfer students, Kawada, gets um, gets more character depth than I remember. So it, that that did kind of surprise me. I I kind of remember this being more like the purge, more of a lean mean kind of. Here's a situation we're getting right into it, but there is um, there are there is sort of time in between these extremely violent deaths to sort of catch your breath and get to know the characters. And I completely forgot the ending to this movie, um, which definitely has like a, a little bit more meaning to me now than it did probably when I, when I first, certainly when I first saw the movie and even probably um, more so than I saw it most recently. Um, I, I definitely forgot that, that I definitely forgot that the ending of this movie is very, um, as I, as I call these, these are kind of John Carpenter endings where uh, I feel like most John Carpenter movies, the endings of these movies are the situation that we're chronicling has been solved or resolved to some degree, but there's like something larger. There's a larger, more ominous thing at play. So it's like a, it's like a, uh, it's a Pyrrhic victory, right? Like you won the battle, but you're still going to lose the war or at least the threat of losing the war is is still out there. So I kind of forgot that the ending of this movie has that has that not even that feeling, that very like that very um puts it puts it right in your face that like, hey, this is this is not the happy ending that you think it is. Now obviously I, I picked these two movies and I picked all of the movies um uh for this month because they all share some kind of similarity 
um, some kind of similarity or multiple similarities in terms of like what how we're covering it, um, you know, with the in this case with in this case with legislation. And then obviously when we cover the elites and enforcement. Um, so let's get into some of the similarities here. Um, so the political messaging is very, very similar in both of these movies. Um, these are both different versions of a right wing disciplinarian wet dream. Um, in the case of uh, in the case of the purge, we're going to punish the poor and minorities. Um, and in the case of Battle Royale, we're going to punish the unruly kids who don't want to be like you. Um, that is, that is, I mean, truly a, a, a right-wing disciplinarian wet dream. In fact, it's like kind of important to note in, in the Battle Royale novel, they don't really talk about this in the movie as much, but it's obviously hinted at very strongly. But in the novel, the Japanese government is a fascist authoritarian dictatorship. It has gone very, very far right. And... The U.S. government has clearly, in, in The Purge, and in 2022, the U.S. government has clearly been taken over by racist evangelical leadership. It's very possible that in the 2022 of The Purge, that uh, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are president and vice president of the United States, and I guess Lauren Boebert is the attorney general or something, because that's, I, I'm not sure how else we get to, to this point, but... Um, yeah, it's it's very clear that um, you know in both cases the in both even though it's not explicitly mentioned in the Purge or Battle Royale in the movies, um, it's very clear that um, that political leadership has gone extraordinarily extremely far right. Um, it, it's it's yeah. There you go. Uh, anyway. And, and you know, and it, it just to real quickly, I'll, I'll I'll hit. Let me let me reinforce this point here before I go to the next one. Especially in the purge, um, it's very clear that there's religious undertones to uh, to the idea. You know, like there's uh, there's like a, a prayer, right? That the that um, there's like a prayer that the the Sandins neighbors are kind of chanting before they're about to kill uh, the Sandins. There's this um you know this this idea that we're we're blessed by you know we're blessed by the purge um so it's it it clearly has very um very conservative christian conservative right wing overtones um even though even though we're not even though we're not explicitly saying that the the government is uh even the us government uh, is gone far right um we also have this idea that in both movies that controlling crime equals more policing which is really not exactly how this works um <clears throat> in the case of battle royale obviously we are um you know we are we're essentially just taking kids throwing them on, on an island and, and forcing them the military in this case is the ones forcing them to uh to do this and even though it, it, even though it kind of sounds like I'm kind of going, even though the, the purge itself sounds like it's actually, you're talking about like less policing, it is not, right? So the purge isn't really, I mean, the purge is one night, but it's really not one night. What the purge is and what we kind of get hints at is that America is now a 24 7, 365 police state in which your neighbors and strangers are the police, are the eyes for the police. They're watching you, they're taking notes on you, and they're preparing to kill you um, on March on March 21st. It's very, it's not, a, it's not an accident that um, the idea, this idea is very close to what would have really been happening in um, a fascist state like Nazi Germany. That 
we I guess we get this idea that like the Nazis were everywhere, but the Nazis were a relatively speaking small party. What they did was control the populace through fear and have the population essentially tell on each other and watch for each other. It wasn't the Nazis that discovered Anne Frank. It was her neighbors, more than likely, who turned her in and turned the fam- the Frank family in. Um, and that's how that's how you that's how fascist dictatorships work because they can't be everywhere. They frighten people into being everywhere for them. So even though even though the idea behind the purge is you know one night crimes you know crimes legal whatever you know we're we are we're shutting the police off we're shutting everything off so you can do whatever you want it's and and in you know they talk about how the crime rate has plummeted um it's not because there's it's not because of it's not because of the purge necessarily it's because day to day people live in fear of one another that crime has dropped that people are you know again i'm probably not articulating this 100 percent clearly um but the the U.S. in this version, the version of the U.S. in this movie is a police state, even though it isn't, even though it isn't, it isn't explicitly stated. Um, it's also this very interesting sort of. They also both have this very interesting idea that like economic hardship is is mentioned in both movies that the the economy is was out of control prior to the you know prior to the BR Act and prior to uh, Purge Night being instituted. And economic hardship will be cured by scaring and eliminating certain groups of people. Uh, it's this, again, it's this idea, it goes back to this, harkens to this idea that um, in, in most cases, you know, that poor people are somehow the cause for economic ills. But, you know, and in, in The Purge, it is very clearly stated that a lot of the victims of the, pur- most of the victims of The Purge are those who are economically disadvantaged. disadvantaged. And, you know, but but on a positive note, unemployment's way down and the economy's up. Um, which, whatever I, I I would think, and this is this is me kind of getting a little bit too galaxy brained with this, but I would think killing millions of citizens every year and traumatizing an entire generation of kids would lead to some terrible economic outcomes. That like the if if the wrong people get killed, in and I don't mean I don't mean that like in in terms of like. Uh, there are right people to kill but i mean like if if like if enough people get killed who are you know who like own businesses who um you know uh, who are critical to the the transportation industry etc every single year um then what would begin happening is there be less and less people to fill like you you if if enough small business owners in a town got killed then who would step up to fill those roles, right? You would be creating economic hardship by essentially, you know, you kill a small business owner, you kill the business. Especially if it's a successful business, you've now killed one of the money makers in your town. So I would think that this would actually, in terms of in terms of the purge, certainly, this would just cause more economic hardship. And I think in terms of battle royale, um, the idea of like, the idea of just like sending kids off to kill each other as sort of punishment would kind of galvanize young people in that country to not want to a live in Japan, which would be detrimental to the economy or B, you know, rebel even harder, which would be detrimental to crime and the economy. But that's thinking too hard about, about those movies. But anyway, 
These both also share something that I, the share an idea that I mentioned uh, in the first episode, um, the idea of non-consensual legislation. Um, the legislation of state sanctioned violence against its citizenry was clearly not something put to a national vote because who the fuck would vote for this? Um, and the way, and, and as, as I said, the, in, in the book, um, for battle Royal, they, they do mention that we are in an authoritarian government. So there wouldn't have been a vote anyway. They're just going to do this. And because of sort of the, because of the, of the obvious sort of, um, can undertones be obvious? They will now. Because of the obvious undertones of the purge, it's very clear that if the United States isn't a fascist government, it's very close to it. So they can pass legislation, you know, with with minimal um, with minimal oversight from the other uh, branches of government, right? So in this case, all of these, you know, the laws that enable these events and enable, uh, you know, things like this to happen are clearly, were clearly never put to the citizens. There is just no way that any single citizen would go, you know what would be a really great idea, um, especially considering how many people would, not even necessarily the, the, the true lower, lower class, but how many people would be vulnerable to this particular legislation? It would be it would be much like the people who could not protect themselves would be a significantly larger portion of the United States than than you would think. So this is an example of non-consensual legislation. The the targets of both of the legislation in these movies is clearly vulnerable groups, you know, um, right from the outset, both movies identify the vulnerable groups. Um, you know, we're, we're listening on the radio, um, we're listening on the, on the radio in the, uh, in, in the purge and on TV that the lower class and minorities are, are many times the victims. Um, the children and youth and the youth, excuse me, children and like the youth culture in Japan are the vulnerable groups. Um, you know, like we, like these are, you know, these are ninth grade kids that are being sent to uh to their deaths i mean they're like essentially all between you know 14 and 15 basically or it might even be like 13 to 15 um it, it are the people that are not even people are the are the vulnerable children that are being sent to be killed so the legislation is directly targeted at um at these vulnerable groups and it's just interesting i know i'm gonna kind of touching on something here again it, despite like despite both groups having minimal power, they are still blamed for the ills of society, right? Like the, again, just to kind of harken back to the economic hardship stuff, the poor people are always blamed for the economic ills of, of America. It's always poor people. Um, or it's, it's certain, it's other certain minority groups uh, blame, blame the, uh, you know, are blamed for having some kind of, uh, you know, being the cause of some kind of problem. So, you know, the Edwin Hodge's character, um, you know, the bloody stranger, I'm just going to call him Edwin Hodge, um, because I'm not going to remember bloody stranger. Uh, so Edwin Hodge's character is viewed as a necessary sacrifice by the gang of white educated upper crust people because Edwin Hodge is black and he's poor. He's a homeless person. He is not one of the, he is not one of them. He's not one of the elites. He is to blame for the ills of society. Um, the Japanese adults, they unilaterally pass this brutal policy 
at, you know, blaming the youth for all the problems of their country, despite the Japanese youth having minimal rights and minimal impact. I shouldn't say minimal impact, but minimal say in how the the economy would even work. Like these are like 13, 14, 15 year old kids. It's not like they're full time employee, you know, employees. It's not like they can go out. You know, some of these kids more than likely work, uh, especially like you know, the, like the fifteen year olds or whatever. They they definitely work, but it's not like we're not talking about people that have a huge, huge say in the policy and economy of Japan. Um, and despite that, they are being blamed because they're you know because they didn't because the. The ruling class didn't like the youth culture. They get blamed, and they are the target of this particular legislation. And in both movies, we have personal beef kind of being um, coming to the forefront, right? Um, you know, it's you. You can say that it's the everyone can kind of um, has an excuse, a built-in excuse that in battle royal that they have to kill each other, otherwise, you know. You know, they have to kill each other. Otherwise, they're going to die if they don't. Um, and The Purge it is sort of like almost it's almost some kind of civic duty, right, to either kill or let people be killed. But really, it's just cover for personal beef. Um, Henry, uh, Zoe's boyfriend, wants to use Purge Night as a chance to kill Mr. Sandin to get him out of the way of the relationship. Uh, Grace and the other neighbors take the opportunity to kill take the opportunity to kill the strangers first, not out of, you know, at first we kind of, you kind of get the idea, maybe the thought that it's like for neighborhood protection, like that the, the neighbors are coming to step up to help the Sandins, but it's just to settle score with the Sandins for, for building this massive addition to their house because, um, you know, because Sandin, James Sandin sold them all the, um, uh, you know, their home security systems for the purge. So, you know, we have like these personal, we have these like personal um, issues coming to the forefront, um, even though they're and you know, the people that are going to use these, that have like these personal grievances are still going to hide behind, hide behind the law, essentially. Um, and that, that's why they're, you know, they're gonna let the law sort of let them get away with kind of bringing their personal issues, um, you know, to to a boil. And, you know, in, in Battle Royal, there's with the teenagers, there's a lot of sort of kids that secretly hate each other or whatever. And now that they're stuck on this island and they're forced to kill, they can kind of justify their, what are truly minor grievances for teenagers. Um, you know, someone accusing someone else of being a slut, accusing someone else of, of being a jerk of, of whatever it is. They're these truly minor grievances all come to the forefront. Um, and you know, and these kids kill each other over these minor grievances and even after, like, they kill each other, they're, they realize as they're dying, like, like, ah, oh, shit, this was so pointless. I really, that was my friend that I just killed. Um, you know, and killed over something that was just absolutely stupid. So, you know, the personal beefs are, are front and center. Um, and, you know, the personal beefs are given cover by the law. And, you know, and this is obviously like a, something that happens with any kind of movie like this, where there's sort of incentive to, to kill someone else, you know, the ease with which some people go along with it. Right. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, the, you know, the, the strangers attacking the Sandins are, are ready have clearly, um, clearly conditioned and ready to kill. Um, you know, they're, and 
they're also sort of again they get covered to kind of a, commit hate crimes i without you know we don't get the the full history of the strangers which is totally fine um but the fact that they picked edwin hodge's character as a target to me doesn't seem coincidental whatsoever i'm going to make the assumption that um they frequently pick the poor or minorities or you know the homeless you know whomever but it's you know they're they are ready to go along with the policy because it just feels like they've been like they they kind of have their their ideals justified by it um the in battle royal we have the transfer student kiriyama who's a complete psychopath um and it's very clear that this is something that's fun for him that that's why he's going along with it um mitsuko uh are one of our main girls um who kills she has like the kind of like the skiff um and she takes other people's weapons and stuff it's very clear that she's kind of she's like the outcast of of this particular um uh, class um in their school um she's one of the outcasts and she kind of takes it as an opportunity to to just say fuck everyone else um you know she's been waiting to kill but also in the case of the way that the body politic works the people killing are also the victims of of the body politic and this is you know well this is just how the body politic has to function right in 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 these kind of movies and stories um so the first kill in the first kill outside of the once they get out in the out into the wilds of the island the first kill is a very clearly scared kid who launches an arrow through um a, a really otherwise defenseless girl who doesn't didn't seem like she was interested in killing anyone obviously we don't get like a ton of story on this necessarily but she just didn't seem like she was very interested in killing anybody. And she gets an arrow launched through her neck and dies. And the kid who kills her is very, very frightened. And it was just like, is panicked because like, well, if I don't kill, then someone else is going to kill me. And when this kid, when this kid eventually does get killed a few, like literally just like a minute later by another kid, it was, he was killed by another scared kid who didn't really seem like he was interested in killing him. So, you know the in the case of battle royal these kids are really being the psychological torture of the idea that like kill or be killed is pushing them to do stuff they are despite the fact that they are killing each other they are all victims of of the body politic um the sandins literally have built their lives on the purge and they were willing to give up a defenseless person in order to preserve their lives right like um you know and obviously they end up killing killing strangers who were trying to come kill them but the the lengths that they were willing to go to um you know killing henry uh, james killing henry um killing the strangers and before kind of i guess coming to their senses um they were more than willing to throw a defense edwin hodges uh, you know, defenseless person out to the wolves, essentially. So in some way, shape or form, the way that the body politic has to keep its power, everyone has to be a victim. Every single person that is under the, the rule of the body, of the body politic has to be a victim. Otherwise it, it, otherwise it cannot keep its own power. And then like our, our final, final similarity here, uh, are the endings, as I call them, again, I'll call them John Carpenter endings, right? Where the 
the story, the, the immediate, the immediate issue has been resolved, but there's clearly so much more out there that it doesn't, it just doesn't feel like it's a complete and total win. Right. So to take the purge first, um, the Sandins mostly survive, obviously, um, James Sandin dies. So the Sandins make it through the night, but their father's dead. Zoe's boyfriend is dead. They've all taken, they've all killed somebody. Um, I think Charlie's the only one who doesn't kill anybody. But these people are all emotionally traumatized. And they still have to live next door to the people who were more than ready to kill them in their own house. Simply because they put on an addition. And, you know, when we see them sort of walk out um, after 7 after seven a.m. on March 22nd, they kind of look around you know, they're, you know, they're kind of like holding each other and they're kind of looking around. It's just like, there's this feeling, there is like a feeling of relief. Like we made it, but just because this purge night has ended, the clock has restarted 364 more days until this happens again. And it's, it's very clear. It's very clear that, you know, even though this is supposedly doing good for doing good for society, all of the damage that it's doing to the people that partake in it or don't even partake in it is immeasurable. Um, and that's really what the, that's really what the ending is saying in the purge in the ending for battle Royal, uh, Shuya and Nariko survive, but all of their friends are dead and died horrible, grisly deaths. And in some cases they were responsible for killing their friends. Um, and in almost every case, their friends tried to kill them. And, these kids are just like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you couldn't help but be fucked up after like escaping this, this horrific scenario, um, in which, you know, in which really there was the, the reason why you're there was just simply luck of the draw or I guess bad luck of the draw. And even when they escape, you know, they get off, they get in a boat, they get off the island, um, with the help of Kawada who, um, you know, their only friend in, in this whole mess also dies in the boat. Um, before you know before they get to safety but their safety isn't even true because they again are still they are still living and this is the case for both of you know for both movies they are still living in a world where the conditions the conditions for this still persist um so sorry just to wrap background about a royal we see that they escape and okay they've escaped they've they've gotten out of the situation um they were put into but the government is still in control. The government that made this happen is still in control. And now they're labeled terrorists and they are wanted countrywide. So they're, even though the game, even though the game ended, battle Royal ended for them on the Island, it continues now in Japanese in the reg, in the rest of Japanese society for them. So again, both of these, both of, both of the worlds in both of these movies, the people have, have to live in a reality in which, the conditions and the people in charge make these things happen. And so again, it's a very John Carpenter style ending where the story is resolved, the people survive, but but it doesn't mean that the bigger issue has been resolved or bigger issue hasn't been resolved and there's just more potentially more peril ahead. All right, so how about some differences here? Um these are these are obviously a little bit more straightforward here. So in both movies, the terror is derived 
differently. In The Purge, it is mostly outside threats. I mean, literally, they are outside of their house. But the idea is sort of... The idea is that you don't know where the violence is coming from. That And there doesn't really seem to be any rhyme or reason for the violence other than opportunity. So, um, obviously, um, the Sandin's neighbors do get involved at some point. But the biggest threat are literally people that are unnamed and outside of one, um, you know, the leader played by Reese Wakefield. We don't even see any other faces. They are completely anonymous otherwise. So, you know, the purge is sort of this idea that the threats are outside of us and they are, they could be anyone and they could be, they could be anywhere. Whereas in Battle Royale, you're talking about familiarity and friendship are the weapons, right? Like everyone knows, everyone knows each other. And because everyone knows each other, it makes each encounter more intense emotionally and more horrific when people do turn on each other. There are some instances where, you know, like the uh, all the girls in the uh, in the lighthouse who are kind of trying to figure out a way to survive this as friends. And all it takes is one mistake um, by I can't remember the girl's name, um, but she blames Shuya for uh, for killing one of her friends. Uh, I think his name is Oki. Um, and she kind of screws up. She's going to try to poison Shuya. And one of the girls um, eats the, the food that's poisoned by her. She doesn't say anything. That girl dies. And immediately, like, the wedge of, even though they're all friends, this wedge is driven between them. And they all kill each other. And so the the familiarity is really where the horror comes from. That despite them knowing each other, and being friends, in some cases, very, very close friends, there's still the chance that your friend can turn on you. So, you know, the, the friendship could be weaponized. Um, there's obviously more character development for the key characters in Battle Royal. Um, again, the Purge, I don't think the Purge necessarily needs character development. I would have liked to seen some in some cases, and, and we'll get to that. But, you know, I, I, I think it is important in Battle Royal because because the familiarity of these characters is why is one of the reasons that that kind of makes the situation all the more, all the more insane. We do need a little bit of character building. Um, so we do get, we do get, um, a real, a pretty long look into Shuya's life. You know, his mother left, uh, when he was young, his father commits suicide. Um, you know, he's been living in orphanages and, you know, he lived with his friend Nobu for a while but he's not had a great life um, outside of school, even though he had, he really is one of the people who one of the kids who seems like he's at least trying. He's trying hard to to kind of be, uh, you know, to to kind of make his way in in the world. Um, but he's got a he's been dealt a really bad hand. Um, we see Mitsuko, one of the characters who's really driven to kill. We get her background and why she is so completely detached from from the people that she's killing you know we see her as a you know maybe a five-year-old or a six-year-old um be sex trafficked by her mother to a stranger for for a little bit of gin and some cash and you know we we get this very even though there's even though it's really not that even though it's really not that graphic or anything it is so fucking creepy this scene is extraordinarily creepy and you get the you you get the obvious idea that um, this isn't this is not the first time that Mitsuko was 
um, was sexually assaulted by someone that her mother let let sexually assault her, you know, for for a little bit of money. And, you know, she's kind of later on in life, she, you know, other girls call her, you know, call her a slut for sleeping around or whatever. But clearly, like, she has weaponized sex in her own life because of the way it was forced upon her as a child. And, you know, it caused her complete detachment from from normal human emotions. Right. Um, We see we get the backstory for Kawada kind of trying to understand understand why his uh he his love died on the island in years previous and he's trying to understand you know she smiled before she died and he's trying to understand like what's happening um you know what happened why that happened and why she smiled before she died um we get even though this isn't like a really deep character development we get a little bit of time and i can't remember these boys names but the 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 three boys who team up to to build a bomb you know they're going to try to you know they hack the they hack the grid that um, the, the computer system that uh, they're monitoring uh, all the all the kids with, and they're going to build a. The original idea was to build a bomb to try to blow up the the command center, but we um, so I can't remember those kids' names, but we get this like little uh, bit of the one the main kid who's like the, kind of the computer hacker. Um, you know he shows this book and it's like this is a a legitimate manual that was produced by um back in the 1970s by um, a group of political radicals uh for building bombs uh essentially to protest against the the japanese government at the time and it's like heavily hinted that his i think it's his uncle was formerly was you know one point in time a japanese soldier but now is but was you know became a freedom fighter and a radical um you know due to the to the um you know the the fascist government essentially turned him against the against the government um so you do get little bits like that um and you know that wasn't like a, a flashback or scene or anything or a vignette or anything that was just like a little bit you know a little bit that was shown right then and there but you do get this character development in in battle royal that i think is more important for that story than it is for a story like the purge um and certainly the social and political critique is more front and center in the purge. Like I said, it's not really, it's, you know, obviously we get the opening scroll explaining what's going on in battle Royal. But after that, we get more into, we get more into satire, um, than we do, you know, than we're, than we're talking about like the government necessarily. And more than we're talking about like social, the social climate in Japan necessarily, Whereas in the purge, like I said, you hear it on the talk radio when Sandin, when James Sandage is driving home, we see it on the TV. Um, you know, leading up to uh, leading up to purge night, um, you know, the idea that like all of this is, this is a very, you know, we are talking about this much more than we really are, than we really are in Battle Royal. In the book, obviously, it is much more front and center. The idea of this authoritarian government is much more of a talking point and much more of a focus in the book, but not in the movie. Um, now, despite despite the both movies having a John Carpenter ending, um, I think that the Purge... I think that the Purge ending seemed slightly more hopeful in a way. Um, it's clear that Charlie and Zoe are people... The Charlie and Zoe Sandin are people who are kids who are not interested in partaking in Purge night. And in fact, Charlie is very kind. Like he's a very nice kid 
who has no interest whatsoever in killing anybody. Um, in fact, he wants to save people. So whether or not this was intentional, the fact that the kids who have clearly grown up with multiple purge nights, um, th- these kids haven't been radicalized by it does signal some kind of hope that the cycle could be broken, right? That they, there's no way that they are the only kids um, who are, again, who have grown up under, under the, the purge night legislation. There's no way that they are the only kids who, who haven't been radicalized, which does kind of, again, I don't know if this is intentional or not. It does kind of, cause I, again, cause I also haven't seen any of the other purge movies besides this one. Um, it does kind of, intentional or not does kind of signal that possibly there are more people than we think that would be, that are against this and that we could one day in the future, not go out and randomly kill people um, just simply because we want to. Um, And also again, the battle Royals definitely, it's probably, I think the language barrier might have something to do with this, but the battle Royal isn't serious. It's, there should I shouldn't say it's not serious, but it's satire. Um, whereas The Purge is taking its political commentary with much more seriousness. I think the only real kind of satire in it is the neighbor Grace, who is kind of like a a two-faced uh, Karen type of character. And I think that's really the only place that you're going to get satire in this particular movie. Otherwise, the social commentary is much more serious. Or at least, you know, it's we're not we are not satirizing um, the things that, that um, you know, we're not satirizing government control. We're not satirizing, um, you know, r- racial animus. It's, it's just, it's taken with a little bit more serious tone. So, you know, that's, that's a big difference in the movie. And I think it, again, I think it's sort of, I think it works for the purge. Whereas if battle Royal was taken very seriously, I don't think that that movie would work the same way if, if, it, if it didn't have, if it didn't have this sat, the satirical element to it. Um, and if you didn't have a, one of the main characters being, being a noted comedian, right? I think that it would, it wouldn't hit the same way if it was taken too seriously. All right. So I do want to go over some missed opportunities and we'll start with battle Royal. Um, and I want to start with Battle Royal because I Battle Royal because I feel like there are no missed opportunities. Uh, I think this is a perfect movie, in in the way that uh, when Chem and I used to do cinema dissection, it's not like it's a perfect movie. Like there is, you know, we could we could update the the special effects and there's lines of dialogue and, and performances and things that I'm sure that aren't perfect. But in terms of the story that it's trying to tell, the target that it's trying to hit all the notes that it's trying to make and its commentary that it's trying to make, it hits every single one on the head. There is nothing that you could do, truly do, other than sort of cosmetic things and maybe a few budgetary things. There's nothing you could do to improve this movie. It is perfect. This would 100% pass the cut in cinema dissection, the same way that Tremors is a perfect movie, that Robocop is a perfect movie. Every mark that that those movies are trying to hit, they hit. Everything that they do, everything that they do in, in a practical sense, and in, in those movies in terms of effects, and in this movie in terms of effects, they hit the marks that they're supposed to hit. And 
there is nothing that you really truly could do to make any sort of improvement on those movies. And Battle Royale, like I said, Battle Royale fits that mold perfectly. This is a perfect movie. There is nothing that you could do to improve this. Um, now, I will say there are several missed opportunities in The Purge. And I think I'll just highlight kind of two of them that I think are the real big missed opportunities here. So we obviously are making commentary on the the social the social and political and uh, implications of what the purge is um but you know it's it's a it's a blip on the radio it's a blip on tv um but really it's not much else and obviously we do get some commentary in the form of edwin hodge's character but again it's not like terribly deep we know that obviously edwin hodge is black he's an army veteran he's homeless we are you know so we are talking about he does fit a very particular social class um of of people in the united states um you know of you know the the socially dis, the economically disadvantaged uh black americans economically disadvantaged uh veterans you know people who come back from from the army the navy the you know, military service who aren't prepared to participate in civilian life and aren't prepared aren't best prepared to uh reacclimate to civilian life um you know homeless you know just homeless people like right like they're they are a, a vulnerable group um who would clearly be uh th- maybe the first victims uh, of the purge simply because they have no place to go so edwin hodge's character fits all of these things but we don't really we don't really get too far into it and again i think i don't need like some tremendous backstory for Edwin Hodge, Edwin Hodge's character. But I think what I would have done instead, I would have made the Sandins a black family. I would have, and I would have kind of, I would have transferred, not transferred, actually, I would have, Sandins would have been a black family. Everything else would have been the same, right? Like we, you know, we'd have Zoe and Charlie and Mary um, and James, family of four. He still could be the purge security systems salesman, Um, But I also would have made James a decorated war veteran, like someone who was, you know, in leadership in in some, you know, in some conflict, someone who, you know, like really was really ascended to the top of of the military leadership. And then upon retiring has a successful career then as a salesman. So I, I feel like I feel like if you if you make that change then it would kind of amp up this idea of inequality and racial animus that gets brought up in at the beginning of the movie and by the strangers. Um, if the Sandins are, despite their social standing, despite um, James's service to his country, if, beca- if because of the, the conditions uh, of the Purge Night and legislation of the Purge Night, despite all of that, they are simply reduced to their racial makeup. Um, and victims of the strange, you know, potential victims of the strangers because they're black would have been a much more interesting way to talk about inequality and, and racial animus. And it would also make, again, keep Edwin Hodge as your, um, you know, as your victim that gets, that gets rescued by the, uh, by the Sandins. It would really make the scene where they're ready to turn over, um, Edwin Hodge to the, to the strangers doubly awful right you have one one black veteran ready to turn over another black veteran 
um, to you know to become more meat for this grinder. It would really, really amp up that sort of this idea, this political commentary about about social class and race in this movie would be much more pointed, and you really wouldn't have to necessarily add like a big backstory or anything to it to get to that point. From a story standpoint, I think the thing that they missed on was was Henry being the um Henry trying to kill uh James. And this was apparently a studio mandate that um the girlfriend boyfriend relationship, the boyfriend be the aggressor uh, and try to kill the father, whereas in the original script Demonico wanted Zoe to try to kill her father um, over the relationship with Henry. And I, and I don't even think it was, I don't even think the relationship was quite as serious, but, or I, I, I remember, I can't remember exactly what I read about it, but basically um, Demonico wanted Zoe to, to try to kill her father. And I think that that would be one, it would kind of smooth over the disjointed feeling of, of these characters because Henry is just kind of feels like he's wedged in. He gets killed and that's kind of it. And like I said, like once Henry gets killed, Zoe kind of other than her final moment where she kills, uh, Reese Wakefield's leader. Um, she's not really doing much in this movie. It's basically, it's basically James, Mary and Charlie and, um, and Edwin Hodges character are really the focus. And obviously Reese Wakefield's character, they're, they, they're the focus and. Um, Zoe's just kind of off of the, I mean, she just kind of disappears for a little bit in this movie and it would just feel, I think it would feel much more, it would just be much more interesting if the Sandin family was collapsing from within while trying to deal with the outside threat, right? Like, I think that makes the story just a little bit more interesting if we have that sort of extra wrinkle in it, as opposed to, as opposed to the, as opposed to really that, that issue kind of being, taken care of within the first what 25 30 minutes of the movie it's kind of resolved um in a in a very blunt kind of way so i think that would have been a better option um but again that was that was production that was the studio that was blumhouse saying nah we don't want we don't want zoe to be you know to be a potential killer so missed opportunity there all right just to gonna wrap up here with a couple final thoughts on both movies um i think i think i i i really enjoy watching these kind of movies i I love watching old movies anyway simply because like you get depending on what they are you get um you get like a really interesting look into um again kind of the whole point of this uh, the whole point of this particular uh series that we're gonna go through but you get an interesting look at what the sort of i guess the collective the social psychology you know what what was what was what were people in, in a particular culture thinking about at this point in time and i think it's kind of interesting to revisit that to sort of see if attitudes have changed or you know if certain ideas have changed and it feels like despite one movie being 10 years old and one movie being 23 years old it kind of feels like we are not done collectively thinking about these sort of things about in the case of the purge, we're not done thinking about um, our own, how our, our own lives could be threatened by anyone, how the, you know, the, the, you know, in the, in the purge, the, the strangers read by, led by Reese Wakefield are unnamed 
Um, we don't see, other than Reese, Reese Wakefield, we don't see their faces. And that's important because that means the threat could be anyone. Could be the kids down the street. Could be the people from the town over. Could be your neighbors. Could be anybody. And I think we're still thinking about that more so, possibly even more so now than we were in 2013. Um, in, in Battle Royal, I think we are sort of looking at this a very deep schism in the in the case of battle royale uh, a schism between the establishment and youth culture and i think i think right now in america again this obviously the movie wasn't made about american culture um but i think you can t- you can kind of take that idea and attach it to the idea of like of there like truly being multiple americas or you know two different americas at the very least um, and how there's like a clear cultural schism between, um, you know, as I mentioned before, we're kind of in this time period of like a, it's like an alt-right sort of, alt-right sort of revolution that we're, we're in the midst of and how that's creating this schism at the political level and at the, also at the cultural level. Um, so I think, I think it is interesting to sort of see both of these movies address something you know, that we were thinking about back then and, and maybe has come to fruition now. Um, and also very, these two particular movies, also very, a very interesting watch now um, since the devastating attacks on Israel by Hamas. These sort of, where the senselessness of violence is sort of at the center um of this and like in the case of the purge the enjoyment of violence is very much at the center of that movie um and really to a degree in battle royale too like it's very clear that the the government you know the idea is you know to try to control youth culture but it's very clear that they there's a whole there's a whole system set up around it that really enjoys watching these kids kill each other and under what you know under the sort of the the lens of what has happened recently where it was very clear that um, this this attack was um, enjoyed by the perpetrators, it does put a different sort of lens on these on these two movies to kind of think about, like that the ideas don't seem so far away, right? Like that the idea that people enjoy this kind of shit, it doesn't seem that far away when we have more when we have a very recent well-documented real-world example of it happening um and especially in the way it sort of plays out in both of these movies where um you know there's a lot of coverage of this there's media coverage of it it's it's an event right and the way that most of us saw most of us have seen now the various clips of uh of women being you know women being raped and killed in the streets people being executed uh, people being shot, like we've all seen this now, and it's just very eerie at how the the real world is reflecting is you know reflecting these two movies that are again collectively ten years old and twenty three years old. Um, so it's just very interesting lens to see it now. Also, also it's just I, I don't know. Like I, I think I think as the more distance you get in these movies. And like thinking about how like I you know I watched especially like Battle Royale you know watching it when I was like in my like early mid twenties essentially how the enjoyment that I got out of it was very different from the enjoyment that I got out of it now, um, 
and these kind of movies i think are when they're when they're when they are trying to say something whether or not they're extremely successful in saying it or not when there is sort of commentary and they are trying to satirize something or they're trying to make a point about something it's very interesting to watch a movie once and then revisit it years later to see if you still have the same point of view um so i i really enjoyed that part of this as well so sorry my final assessment is rambling here um and getting a little bit too serious possibly but you know the purge rather enjoyed it still not you know i kind of want to check out the subsequent movies maybe at some point in time but this definitely isn't really my jam um but i definitely had some got some enjoyment out of it it was very interesting to sort of see it again for the first time in quite a while battle royale um this is a stone cold pop culture classic it's a must see for everyone um again really enjoyed seeing it again for the first time in a couple years and really enjoyed kind of you know really thinking critically about it uh for the first time in a little while um so that was really cool but um so the purge if this is your type of thing it, i think the purge really hits it pretty well um you know it, it's 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 enjoyable uh, like i said 83 minutes my goodness that is that is fantastic um uh, but battle royale stone cold classic must see if you have not i highly recommend you go out and do so now all right so that does it for this episode uh we will be back on a normal schedule uh next week um since i can now fully open my jaw and uh not feel shooting pain going through my mouth and i can talk a little bit more (laughs) talk for more than a 30 40 seconds at a time um so we'll be back next week on a normal schedule as we talk about the elites and we watch what did i say we're gonna watch them oh i forgot this hold on one second um okay hold on a second trying to find it here oh boy okay there we go um i'm not gonna edit this out so you just know how stupid i am in real life so as we talk about the elites and we talk about they live and the dead zone and then and then we'll wrap up uh, the following week we'll wrap up when we talk about uh political enforcement and we wrap up with day of the dead and death watch i am reserving the right to change one of those movies in the future I'm looking for something in particular that I haven't been able to find. Um, but we shall see that might keep those might keep those the same. There might be a change, but we shall see in a couple of weeks, but for now, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. And we will catch you next time on the occasionalists. Peace.